Two weeks ago, I started talking on the subject of the kingdom of God. And we answered many questions. What is the kingdom of God? Where is the kingdom of God? Is it here yet? What's, uh, what is it like? As a matter of fact, if you wanted to know what the kingdom of God is like, all you need to do is go to just about every single one of Jesus' parables is about the kingdom of God. He starts off with saying, and the kingdom of God is like this. And then he gives a parable. Now, it's interesting that very few people, you can go Google it, very few uh, in comparison messages are out there on the kingdom of God. Yet, when you go through scriptures, it is a very central theme. As a matter of fact, John the Baptist announced the kingdom of God is near. Jesus said the kingdom of God is here, is upon you. And uh, we have the gospel of the kingdom is what we ought to go and preach. Yet, we know very little about the kingdom of God, how it operates, where it is, and what our response is to it, how to recognize it. And so, the kingdom of God is in fact a term you will find all over the scriptures. It speaks of things like this. Seeing the kingdom of God. Entering the kingdom of God, John 3, 3, John 3, 5. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. So there are many commands given to us to respond to the kingdom of God. And so today all I'd like to do is for us to continue thinking through this concept of the kingdom of God, which is evidently a central theme in all of scriptures, and therefore should be a central theme in our lives, in our marriages, in our families, and in our worldview. Here's a big reason as to why I would like for us to basically dissect, unpack, and study the kingdom of God. And I want to walk through it slowly, so this will be more like a lecture than a preaching, um, Sunday morning preaching. But I think that the more I get understanding of the kingdom of God, the more it is fashioning and forming my eschatology, my view of end times, and what I believe God has called us to here in this day and this age. It's very hopeful, and I hope that this very word of the kingdom of God will also inspire and encourage you. The questions I, I used to have about the kingdom of God is, what is it? Where is it? Is there a kingdom of God? And is there a kingdom of heaven? And are these two different? What did Jesus have in mind when he spoke of the kingdom is upon you, is near you, is at hand? What was he thinking when he said that? So the first question I'd like to answer today is, what is the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven? So if you're, if you're reading through the Bible, you'll, you'll happen to, and you happen to start with the book of Matthew, you'll see that the book of Matthew only speaks of the kingdom of heaven. But the book of Matthew is the only book that speaks of the kingdom of heaven. All others speak of the kingdom of God. And when you cross-reference, because we have four Gospels, let's take out John, because John is not so much historical, it's more theological. But if you take Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you, say, you see Matthew <clears throat> speaks of the kingdom of heaven, and you cross-reference to Luke or Mark, Stating the very same verse, both of them always say the kingdom of God. So Matthew uses the kingdom of heaven, and the other two use the kingdom of God for the same verses. 
<clears throat> so that simply means right here that those two terms are interchangeable. When you read kingdom of God, you could actually read kingdom of heaven. When you see kingdom of heaven, you can actually read it as kingdom of God. Now you might say, Jacques, why is this important? I'll show you in a, in a little bit here. <clears throat> Let's ask the second question. Why did Matthew use kingdom of heaven instead of kingdom of God? Well, there's a reason for it, a very logical reason. And that was because Matthew uh, wrote exclusively to Jews. And Jews did not like to use the name God. They didn't like it to use it too much because they didn't want to cheapen it. They didn't want to trivialize it. And neither did they want to sin by using God's name in vain. So what they did was, it was common for Jews to use a euphemism to replace the word God with other words. Like for instance, the Almighty or the Most High referring to God, or the Ancient of Days, referring to God. So Jews, even to this day, will do that instead of, say, God. Another term the Jews would use instead of God is heaven. So it would be the, the Ancient of Days, the uh, Most High, Almighty, or heaven. In, case, in, in this case of the prodigal son, everybody knows the story of the prodigal son, right? So he takes off with his inheritance. He goes and spends it on riotous living. And then when he comes back to his father, he says this. He says, I have sinned against you and against heaven. Now, he wasn't saying that he sinned against a place. He sinned against God. That's what he was talking about. Our second example is when Jesus asked the Pharisees about the baptism of John. Jesus, as a matter of fact, asked, was, he said to the Pharisees, was this baptism of John? Was it from man or was it from heaven? You see, he was making a point and he was asking the Pharisees, was this man-made, this baptism that everybody celebrates, or was it from God? Was it from heaven? Third example is the final example shows that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are interchangeable. Is when Jesus speaks to his disciples after the rich young ruler came to him and said, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, ultimately then, uh, sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. Of course, the Bible says he walked away sad because he couldn't do that. Why not? Because that was his God and he broke the first commandment. He said to Jesus, no, I've kept all the commandments. And Jesus proved to him he didn't even keep the first commandment, right? And here Jesus then walks to his disciples. And then Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 19, 23 and 24, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Can you see that? The kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus is not jumping ship. He's staying on the same subject. He's saying, and again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So in the same context, talking about the same thing, same topic, he says, it's difficult for wealthy people to enter the kingdom of heaven. I tell you again, again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to into the kingdom of God. So Jesus uses kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God interchangeably. This shows that the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God is in fact the same. And it's important for us to establish this fact, and I'll show you why. 
So if you go through the Gospel of Matthew, you will find the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed his seed in the field. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven put into a lump of dough. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to arrange a marriage for his son. And when you read any of these parables in Mark and Luke, you will read these same parables speaking of the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of heaven. So again, not only did we open the door to the idea that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven is the same, same thought, we've actually established it so throughout scriptures. The third question we want to answer today is why do most people think the kingdom of heaven is in heaven? If you ask a nominal Christian, where is the kingdom of God? They will say, in heaven. The kingdom of heaven is in heaven. Can you see why it's so important to know the difference? Because they will think kingdom of heaven. Where is it? In heaven. But that's not so. It's not only in heaven. When you think of the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, and I ask you, where is it? Where is this kingdom of Saudi Arabia? You would say, where? Saudi Arabia. There's a little country inside of South Africa, tiny little country called Lesotho. It's a kingdom. If, if we ask you, where is the kingdom of Lesotho? You would say, in Australia? No, you wouldn't. In, in, in Switzerland? No, it's in Lesotho, right? So when we talk about the kingdom of heaven, we naturally and logically think the kingdom of God is therefore in heaven because it is the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> and we think that Christians, of course, raised in modern Christianity today, believe that Jesus came to take us to heaven. And the main mission of Jesus is to keep us out of hell. And the idea of going to heaven is linked to the idea of entering the kingdom of God. Let me say that again. The idea of entering heaven is the idea of entering the kingdom of God. And the problem with seeing the kingdom of God synonymous with heaven is that Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God in terms that wouldn't match heaven. Every time, I mean, Jesus taught on the kingdom of God a lot. But when you look at how he taught the kingdom of God, it couldn't possibly mean heaven. I'll prove it to you. Matthew 13, 24 and 30. It says another parable he, parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept in heaven, no. His enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. So now there's an enemy that sowed tares in heaven. Hardly. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, when the tares also appeared, the, then the tares also appear, appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, uh, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat. With them, verse 30, they both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So the question is, uh, will we find an enemy in heaven? Jesus said, this is what heaven's like. 
Oh, this is what the kingdom of God is like. So is there an enemy in heaven? No. So he's not, he's not saying the kingdom of God is heaven. How is it possible that believers and unbelievers will grow up together in heaven? No, he's absolutely not talking about heaven. When he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in the field. All right? So it couldn't be heaven. There is so much of what Jesus said about the kingdom of God that simply does not make any sense if you see the kingdom of God as heaven. Number four, is the kingdom of God coming to us or are we going to it? Is the kingdom of God coming to us or are we going to it? Well, Mark 1.15, let me just quickly say this. <clears throat> when you believe that the kingdom of God is something you will one day enter when you pass away, you have no responsibility in it. When you realize that you are in the kingdom of God today, you go, well, then what does this mean? Nobody asks, what does this mean to be in the kingdom of God? Unless they know that they are currently in it. Therefore, they are to submit to the king that rules in that kingdom. And they have responsibilities within that kingdom. And, by the way, that kingdom is an ever-increasing one. And it will swallow up all other kingdoms eventually. So let's ask this question. Is the kingdom of God coming to us or are we going to it? In Mark 1.15 it says, The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, when you read in, let's go to BibleGateway.com, and you can punch in Mark 1.15, and when you see is at hand, there will be a little, a little uh, letter, an A or B or C. Click on it, and it will give you the footnotes. And the footnote is the direct translation, which can be used in that space. So you could read it, has drawn near has drawn near, which is has is past tense, right? The kingdom of God, he says, has past tense drawn near to you. It came to you. Let's read it again. Mark 1.15. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has drawn near to you. Repent and believe in the gospel, therefore. Is a response to the fact that the kingdom is here. Repent. Turn to the king away from self, away from the world. Jesus also said right here that the time is fulfilled. The time is fulfilled. <clears throat> In other words, this is a fulfillment of something that was expected. This is a fulfillment of something that was expected. Jesus is saying the kingdom has come. It has drawn near to you. Because this is the fulfillment of what you were promised beforehand. So in order to know what Jesus and John the Baptist were announcing, we have to understand what the Jews were expecting. Because John said, kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus, the kingdom of God is drawn near. Well, the Jews that were hearing him, what were they thinking? What was he com they communicating to the Jews? Well, we have to know what they were expecting. They were only expecting that which they were promised. So we have to go back to see what were they promised. Therefore, this was their expectation, and now this is therefore the fulfillment. Watch this. The question is number five. What did Jesus have in mind when he referred to the kingdom? The first time God ever spoke of um, the king, wanting a kingdom 
or having a kingdom was after he brought Israel out of Egypt. He brought them to Mount Sinai and he said to Moses in Exodus 19, 5 and 6, he says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my, com- my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine. And you shall be my, me, excuse me, and you shall be to me a kingdom. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So this is what God told Moses to tell the Israelites. If you obey me, you will be to me as a kingdom, a royal people. This is the first introduction of God's mind on the concept of kingdom. You don't find it before then. This is where it's introduced. Notice that when God said that, uh, that they would be His kingdom, He was referring to uh, when they, He was not referring to when they die and when they get transported somewhere else. He's not referring to that. He wasn't saying that they will enter His kingdom on another planet or elsewhere in the universe. God was telling them that they would be His kingdom right there on earth. They were going to be a holy nation among the other nations that were unholy. The simple definition of a kingdom is that, is that of a society that, has a, that is governed by somebody. In other words, there is going to be a society governed by a king. And he said, you will be my kingdom. I will be the king and you will be the kingdom. I will therefore govern you. Because a kingdom, if you think about it, is just a form of government, is it not? We don't have a kingdom. We have a republic. But we have a different form of government. But kingdom is just another form of government. That's what it is. There's a society governed by a king. God was saying to Israel, I want to have a kingdom, and I'm choosing you to be my kingdom, but you must obey my voice. That's how you'll be in my kingdom. So the conclusion here is, notice that the first time God expressed His desire for a kingdom... That it was going to be on earth. It wasn't going to be somewhere else. It was going to be a people. A holy people. It wasn't going to be a place. So more proof that the kingdom is to be here on earth. Think about it as when Jesus told us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom go. Come. Where? In heaven? On earth. As it is in heaven. I'll give you another example. <clears throat> in Matthew 4.8, we'll see Jesus getting tempted by the devil, right? What is this temptation? He says in verse 8 again, The devil took him upon an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And Satan said to Jesus, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Interesting that Satan tempted Christ with the kingdoms of this world. I don't know if you realize that it is impossible for you to be tempted with something you have no desire for. You only get tempted by the things you wish you had, you desire to have or accomplish. It was impossible to tempt Jesus with bread if he wasn't hungry. That's why he said, turn these stones into bread. You've been fasting 40 days. 
Well, that's a temptation, is it not? And then he gave him this next temptation. He says, well, if you fall down and worship me, I'll give you what I know you want, the kingdoms of this world. Satan knew that that was Jesus' desire to establish a kingdom here on earth. Otherwise, he would not have tempted Christ with it. Question number six. Was a kingdom on earth always God's plan? Was it always God's plan? Well, we see that during the time of the judges, remember the judges? Uh, it says over and over again that there was no king in Israel because God was to be their king. Judges came before Saul, the first king. That we had all these judges, you know, Samson, Gideon, um, Deborah. And we see it, there was no king in Israel in those days. We see that in Judges 17.6. We see Judges 18.1, Judges 19.1, Judges 21.25. There was no king in Israel. They didn't have a king. They only had judges. Now, judges weren't rulers. Judges was more like a military. They would go after the nations that were enemies of Israel. But God desired to be their king. As a matter of fact, when Gideon delivered the Israelites from the Midianites, all the people of Israel said this. They said, rule over us, Gideon, you and then your sons and then your sons' sons. So in other words, they wanted to set up a dynasty. You be our first king, then your sons, after them, their sons, your grandsons. <coughs> but Gideon rejects that request because he knew God wanted to reign over them, that God was their king. And at the end of the period of the judges, Israel became urgent again to be just like the other nations. And they kept on pushing the issue. We want to be like the other nations. Give us a king. We want to be like the other nations. Give us a king. Of course, Samuel was very angry over that. God said to him, Samuel, know this. They aren't rejecting you. They're rejecting me. They don't want me to be their king. They don't want to be a kingdom unto me here on earth. May we never be guilty of the same. There's this big argument, debate that happened over about a 20-year period, and John MacArthur led the debate, which was the whole idea that Jesus can be your Savior but not your Lord. It's called the Lordship Controversy, where people want to say, only believe, only believe, only believe. You don't have to obey. No obeying necessary. Well, yeah, believing comes first, and obeying is the proof that believing was actually credible, was actually if your, the believing, or excuse me, the, 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 the obeying affirmed the believing. But there came this whole move within Christendom here in the West that, no, only believe, and you'll still hear it a lot. But show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works is exactly what James said about that issue. People want to make Jesus Savior of their lives while rejecting His Lordship over their lives. And this is not possible. As a matter of fact, nowhere in Scripture do you find a place where anybody made Jesus Savior. That's <laughs> okay. Only we could come up with that, that idea. Like, I'll make him Savior. Yes. <laughs> no. You can submit to his Lordship. 
But trust me, even if you don't, he's still Lord. He doesn't become non, he doesn't fall from his throne because I rejected him. <laughs> <clears throat> and so we see that Saul became the king. In 1 Samuel 8, verse 4 and 6, it says, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old, Samuel, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us, like all the other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel, and when they said, Give us a king to judge us, so Samuel prayed to the Lord. Now Israel, as you know the story, received their first king, Saul. And then they had about 40 kings after that. But out of the 40 kings Israel had, when it was supposed to be God ruling over them, they wanted kings, 40 of them, only four of them were God-fearing. 35 of them were evil. There is never a blessing outside of God's will. The seventh question, what will the nature of this kingdom be, is important for us to look at <coughs> in depth. You see, the prophets came on the scene after the judges. So the judges were there. There was no king of Israel. It was God. The judges fought for Israel. But then, after the judges, the first king was introduced. But then came the prophets on the scene at that time. And they prophesied that God was going to send a king. And he was going to restore his kingdom among Israel. So Israel was railing underneath all these evil kings. And the prophets said, okay, it's hard to kick up against the goads, isn't it? It's hard to disobey, isn't it? It's hard. Your life is so hard when you walk away from God, isn't it? That picture right there is so true for people today. Well, life is hard, you know. Life is hard, you know. Well, of course it is. If you keep rejecting Christ. You know, folks, I think this is so important just to consider. Throughout time, Israel, were, they were never judged by God unfairly. Whenever God judged Israel, this is what He did. He took a God godless nation. Like the Assyrians. And He raised them up. And He caused them to go and pound on Israel. Did He not? He grabbed Israel by the scruff of the neck and He said, Into slavery for hundreds of years, you rebellious people. And they wouldn't learn their lesson. Send them Moses, bring them out. Next thing is, again they have false gods. He took them by the scruff of the neck and threw them into exile for 70 years. As a matter of fact, in that Assyrian situation where God raised up Assyria to go and pound on Israel, the Bible says God raised up, they became God's club to pound on Israel. And then He judged them for doing it. He's God. Oh, that's not right. Yes, it is. That's what he did. And so here we are today. Here we are today. <laughs> and everybody's up in arms. And I go like, the sovereignty of God. Look at that. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. The most anti-Christ, yet Seemingly God-fearing nation, but it's not. 
And so whether they be the real Israel or not, all I know is that not all that are from Israel is Israel. And here we are, the chosen of God. <laughs> here we are, the chosen of God. So the prophets came on the scene after the judges, and they prophesied that God was going to send a king to Israel. And this king was going to restore this kingdom as it was under David. The high, the high point, the climax of Israel. The prophet said, we're going to get the kingdom back. God's bringing a king, and that kingdom is going to be brought back. So in order to be a king back in the day, the prophets of God would have to anoint a person with oil, and that person then would ascend to that position of king. However, the prophets were prophesying that God was going to send a king, an anointed one, off to the line of David, and he was going to sit on David's throne, and this is going to be a successful kingdom. And all these prophecies were taken by the Jews that this coming king was going to be very much like David in the sense that David was a mighty man of valor. He was a, war he was a warrior. Saul killed his thousands. David killed his ten thousands. Oh, we can't wait for this king to come on the scene. He is going to jump on his horse and he is going to lead the victory. We're going to kill all of our enemies. This was the picture that they had. This is the expectation that they had. This was the restoration of the kingdom that they were looking for. And this is what the disciples, this is why the disciples asked Jesus in Acts 1.6. Therefore, they said, when they came together, they asked Jesus saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, of course, the the disciples, understandably so, misunderstood the nature of this kingdom. Uh, they thought that it was going to be a purely political kingdom, of course, and like they had with David, ruling over, ruling over the Jews and destroying the enemies. But Jesus had explained to Nicodemus the nature of this kingdom. And he explained it in John 3.3. 3. He said, Jesus answered and said to Nicodemus, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot even see the kingdom of God. How is it that people first see the kingdom of God, then they believe, and then they get born again? It doesn't even make sense. No. God births you anew. Your eyes open. You see the kingdom, and you enter into it by believing. You see, regeneration precedes faith. Because He regenerates me, He opens my eyes so I can see the light of the gospel. He opens my ears so I can hear the call of God. He actually gives me a mind that can submit to the law of God and to the command of God, which is to come to Christ. He gives me a new heart so I can love Him and desire Him and want to believe and do believe. Anyway, that's in John 3.3. 3. If, you, if you look at that verse, you couldn't argue the fact that regeneration comes before faith. You don't have faith and therefore you are saved. No, you are saved, therefore you believe. In John 3, 5, Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless the one is born of water and of the Spirit, of the Spirit, of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So that means something spiritual obviously first has to happen in order for anybody to enter the kingdom of God as Jesus was explaining it. The nature of this kingdom is spiritual. 
in Luke 17:20, the Pharisees demanded to know from Jesus when this kingdom would come. And notice that the kingdom was not understood as some place you go to when you die, but something that would come to us, to them here on earth. Look at John 17, 20. It says, now when, <coughs> excuse me, now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. The kingdom of God does not come with observation. Nor will they say, see here, see there, for indeed, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Again, if you go to your Bible, Go to the footnotes. Within you can be directly translated as in your midst. The kingdom of God is in your midst. It's here. The kingdom of God is in your midst. This is, in fact, the group of people who will ultimately, by preaching the gospel, the power of God, have all kingdoms of this world conquered and the glory of the Lord will fill the earth once again. The kingdom, Christ's kingly rule, was already in operation in their midst in the first century. <clears throat> That's what he said there. The kingdom of God is in your midst. He says, when you see me driving out devils by the finger of God, you know that the kingdom has arrived. Colossians 1, 12 and 13 says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of His inheritance of the saints in the, in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed, transferred, us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. God moved you out of a kingdom of darkness into kingdom of light. Now finally, in Matthew 6.31, we see our response to this kingdom that is spiritual in nature, that has already arrived, that is in our midst, and that will ultimately keep growing, keep growing until all other kingdoms submit to it. There is a response you and I ought to have to this kingdom of God. And it's found in Matthew 6.31. He says, Therefore, do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. Unsaved people make that their goal. Make that what they look for in life. What they can eat, what they can drink, and what they can wear. Jesus says, for all these things is the Gentiles' goal. The Gentiles' agenda in life. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But, still same thought, talking about needs, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. He says, but, you have a different goal, you have a different agenda. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then all these things, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, and what you're going to wear, where you're going to live, what you're going to drive. And all these things shall be added unto you. As long as you don't make it your goal and your agenda in life. Make the kingdom of God your goal and agenda in life. Those things God will supply. Amen? So having the knowledge that the kingdom is a form of government. Watch this. We're coming to a... We're landing here. Having the knowledge 
that the kingdom of God, or kingdom, is in fact a form of government. This verse now becomes very practical to us. To seek the kingdom, or the government of God, is to seek to be governed by the king of that kingdom. Let me say it again. To seek the kingdom of God is to seek the government of God by seeking to be governed by the king of that kingdom, by Christ. Do you seek to be governed by Christ? Or do you seek to be blessed by Him? You want all the benefits of a kingdom, but you don't want any of the requirements that King has for His subjects. And this is the point of, you know, Christianity, especially word faith, they're big on this, but there's, there's you've got rights. You've got rights as a, as a child of God. You, the rights of the believer. You speak, they use faith like it's a saber sword. Like, <laughs> I'll slay these dragons. I kid you not. So we were, doing, <laughs> we were doing dream team meetings, right? Remember when everybody would sign up for the dream team meetings, we'd talk through, and, and, and everybody would use that, that moment of meeting around the table with me after service to put their theology out on the table. And I kid you not, a woman literally jumped up and she said, it's my sword, it's my sword. I jump up and I just slay demons all day. And I'm like, you know, that's a, that's a six-month series for another time. <laughs> so they get this idea that you have rights, you have rights. Folks, if you're in this kingdom, I'm not denying that you have rights, but don't forget you have responsibilities too. <laughs> That's the point. And if you're seeking after the kingdom of God and His righteousness, you're seeking to be governed by Him. You're saying, God, what is it that you require of me? If you're seeking the kingdom of God first, that's the question you ask. God, what is it that you require of me in my marriage? What is it that you require of me in my finances? I am now purchased by the blood of Christ. I'm no longer my own. I'm now a steward over everything in my life. I steward my marriage. I steward my children. I steward my household. I steward my finances. I steward my friendships, my relationships. I am a steward of this church. I have to make sure. How do I steward the scheduling of this church, the time that we spend, the time that you spend here? How do we steward this? Everything in your life is Christ's. Everything. What is a steward? Is a manager who manages something that doesn't belong to him. <laughs> he manages on behalf of the owner. So my, my mind is something I have to steward. My emotions, I have to steward. Have you ever thought about that? <laughs> it's like, you are commanded by God to manage your emotions. Why? Because you've been purchased by the blood of Christ and you are now a steward over that which you have, which includes your emotions. You can't just let your mind run wild. You can't just let your emotions run wild. You've got to be well ordered because you are now a steward over this day, over the 24 hours you were given. You're now a steward over the relationships that God puts across your path. And sometimes we just trash opportunities. 
or we ought to be stewards of opportunities, especially when it comes to presenting the gospel. I thought about that, actually. We are stewards over our reach. This is why we put such a big focus on the, on the Bible school, because I realized, and this was such a clear thought to me, the penny dropped. Remember we were having Bible school right here on Wednesday nights, live Bible school classes? And I remember when the penny dropped and I thought, are you kidding me? We, have, we can reach the whole world with the internet. That is an opportunity. And we have a couple of men, people who are good with technology. How is it that we are not using stewarding that opportunity? So we have to realize, we have to take inventory of all that God has given us and stop living with the goal and the schedule of what am I going to eat, what am I going to wear, what am I going to drive. No, no. Seek ye first the kingdom. God, how, what do you require of me today? What am I to become a better steward over? So in layman's terms, if you want to seek the kingdom of God, I must seek to be governed by Christ, which means governed by His word, by His example, governed by His character. And as cheesy as may seem, yeah, what would Jesus do? But also remember, there are things Jesus was free to do. You are not. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, not yours. <laughs> He's the judge, not you. <laughs> It's an interesting thing how people get that wrong. Everybody thinks that, they are, that God is like them. That's why they ask questions like, why doesn't God just forgive? He tells us to forgive. But no, He won't forgive. He has to punish Jesus on the cross for your sins. Why doesn't He just forgive you for your sins? Why must He punish Jesus? Because you are not God. He's not like you. <laughs> He's God, right? So I must desire the principles of God's kingdom to rule over my life. If I do, then all these things will be added to me. Here's our conclusion for the sermon. Is that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven is the exact same concept. Number two, we are not going to, king, we are not going to the kingdom of God when we die. But the kingdom of God is coming to us and already is here. Since the time of the judges, Samson, Gideon, Deborah etc. It was always God's intention to rule as a king over His chosen people here on earth. It was always God's plan to rule as a king over His society here on earth. An earthly kingdom was always His plan. <clears throat> Number four, the nature of the kingdom of God is spiritual. We enter the kingdom of God, we see the kingdom of God for what it is only when we have been born again. And that regeneration or that new birth the baby didn't choose to be born. No, the baby didn't know that it was born even at times. God's the one that births you anew, gives you a heart that believes and repents. And that's humbling. The nature of the kingdom of God is spiritual. And number five, to seek the kingdom of God is to seek first to be governed by the king of that kingdom long before we seek to be governed by anything else, whether it be our own greed, our own covetousness, our own emotions, our own opinions, our flesh, or other governments demanding for us to close our doors when God told us to open them. Let's pray. 
Father, we just thank you so much for your goodness in our lives. Lord, may this understanding, your scriptural understanding of a kingdom, give us a sense of belonging. We belong to your kingdom. We are, in fact, citizens of your kingdom. We are citizens of this heaven. And we thank you, Father, that you have chosen us and placed us in it, that we are able to see it, that we are able to enter it, and that we are able to seek it first. We pray, Father God, that you work within us, Lord, that we will have a hope for the future. May this mold and shape our worldviews, give us a hope as we look at the world in which we live. Lord, that we will know we are fighting from a, from a place of victory. We already know that this government shall be upon your shoulders and of its increase, the increase of this government, there shall be no end. That this rock that was cut from the mountain, not by the hands of man, will destroy and conquer all other kingdoms and it will grow and fill the whole earth until the glory of the Lord fills the earth like the waters cover the sea. What a glorious, glorious hope we have. Amen. Amen. Did you get something out of the Word? Amen.